0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is a Womp Womp Wednesday. It's a fairly Wompy Wednesday, if I'm being honest. There's a quarterback controversy in San Francisco. After all, it's just maybe for the backup quarterback. And with me this week, it's the Milkshake IPA
1: Neophyte. It's David Newman. I mean, I I really want one now. That's all I've got. I've never had one. Um, It sounds delicious now that it's been explained and uh that's where i'm at for the uninitiated
0: uh derek govier 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 i don't know we were bound to fuck up a name uh he's one of our patrons on the patreon he specifically requested that we drink a milkshake ipa with his contribution because our contribution is about buying us beer Uh, we give you football you buy us beer i was happy to oblige but we ran into two issues one my local bottle shop didn't have any in stock this is the seasonal thing it's also a Northeastern thing, New England IPA sometimes are called. Uh, but more importantly, David Newman did not know what a milkshake IPA was
1: or heard of it. And I love milkshakes and I love IPAs, So it feels like a thing that I should have heard of, but... Nope. I feel like you should have at this point.
0: Uh, so I'm drinking a hazy IPA instead because there's a, there was a delicious hazy IPA in stock. Uh, and my local guy was like, hey, try this instead. I don't have any milkshake IPAs, but here you go. But a, a milkshake IPA is an offshoot of a hazy IPA. Um, so hazy IPAs, they're softer, they're juicier. Uh, this is in contrast to like the dank West Coast IPAs, which dank is a word that I dislike as a modifier, as a descriptor. Started there with like moist it's just, it's a word that you don't, I don't, I just, I, I do not like it. Um, but, it, you know, decreased bitterness, they add hops late in the boil, early during fermentation. Um, and, and that adding of the hops late in, in fermentation is what gets you the haze and, and also the fruity character. It's also why oftentimes it's like double dry hopped is what you see is because they add a lot of like a hoppy powder at the end and that's what gets some of the haze and, and all that stuff. Well, milkshake IPA adds milk lactose, which doesn't ferment which makes the beer even sweeter. And in some cases, they add vanilla or fruit to make it more milkshake-y. So you take the like low-acidity, bright, juicy, floral, almost tropical character of a hazy IPA, and you make it even just a little bit sweeter and a little fruitier, and you have yourself a milkshake IPA. It's delicious.
1: really want one now.
0: Yeah, it's. I'm gonna try and find one, and and I would deliver it to you, but you now live uh like 37 and a half miles away from me, uh, which is weird. I'm used like to
1: just, an exaggeration, right? Is that accurate? Is that that's that's not no, accurate. it's not There's,
0: accurate. Me no. hyperbole never. Uh, I'm used to I'm used to just driving over to your place and like dropping stuff off and saying here you go. Uh, you should try this, and now I can't do that
1: because you've moved. Move, I move. Uh, in the process of moving, actually. As of a couple of hours ago um, has not been fun, but we'll, we'll save that for another no. time.
0: Moving sucks. Um, I once saw a video of like a Japanese company that like comes and packs up all your shit and then puts it in your new house and like unpacks it for you. I can't
1: imagine that that service is cheap, but I would pay for it. I would have known that it existed and we could do that somehow right now. I would have been all about it. It's terrible. It's always terrible.
0: Yep. Uh, all right, but let's get to the game because the the Niners flat out they blew it. They lost to the Eagles. It's not a good game. Uh, the you know the Mullins nickname, the moniker Mullins, mofo Mullins works both ways because Mullins, that mofo, just had a terrible, terrible game. Nick Mullins played one of the worst games of football the 49ers have seen in a while. Like I'm, I'm thinking, like Ken Dorsey, JTO Sullivan, like eleven interception Alex Smith. Like, like that's, that's the, that's the quarterback level that we're talking about here. Um, it was bad and it's not like the Niners were out of it at the end. It was, it was like a four point game with six minutes left in the damn game. And, and literally this is, you're watching someone actively shit the bed.
1: It was awful. Like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is honestly like, uh, maybe one of the worst quarterbacking games that I've ever seen. Um, just like it's i think it's easily the worst this season um you know looking so he he finished with a 27.4 passing grade for us at PFF um that is by a, a solid chunk the lowest of any quarterback in a game this season the only other quarterback that's within like 10 points of that um was Dwayne Haskins in week 3 against the Browns so that that he and he was still like 6 points ahead essentially at a 33 so like Dwayne Haskins just got benched for a guy with one leg yes um it is it was bad yeah it was like it was just everything so I think this is a a good way to illustrate to like I mean I one of the many ways really to illustrate the difference between somebody like Mullins and somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo right when that was what was the thing is like the the floor could drop out for somebody like Mullins at any point. And this game is always on the table with that type of player when you don't have the, the physical tools really to, to kind of carry you through some situations. And so, yeah, I think we just saw, I mean, this was obviously a, like a worst case scenario for him, but it, it was something that was like you weren't going to be able to hide forever.
0: Yeah, it started bad early. I mean, the missed throw to Juice, that was it was set up beautifully. Juice was wide open. I mean, you he flat out missed him wide open. It just it was it was gonna be a bad, bad day from the get-go. And, and the interception that he threw the pick six at the end of the game, I mean that that's literally an interception that Rec league Mullen stands could have like a pass he could have completed like th- this is going to be my closing argument the next time that I see the the rec league basketball player who is championing. Nick Mullins is the quarterback of the future. It's like at the point at which you could have made an NFL throw and Nick Mullins couldn't. I believe we need to end the discussion.
1: At the very least, I could throw that same shitty interception. I could definitely (laughs) do that. I could get out there and stare down a linebacker and throw it right to him. You know, I don't know, roughly six yards downfield. Be fine. Yeah, and what
0: sucks is that the the game plan overall from Shanahan, like Shanahan knew he had to put something together, and it was a beautiful game plan. I mean the 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 way that he was attacking the the defense, it was good. Jim Schwartz also had, I think he called a pretty good game as well. It was a lot of varied coverages. Didn't blitz often, only blitzed four times, uh, because he knew he could get home with his front four, and he did often. Um, but, the, I mean, the, the you think about the performances that were wasted because of Nick Mullen's performance. I mean, this was a, a hell of a game for George Kittle. I mean, 15 yeah. receptions. I mean, it, the, he was just catching everything. Uh, and, and it was so good. He, uh, there was one play, the play where he got face-masked, where he breaks like two tackles in a phone booth. And he's just tossing people left and right. And it's just like, God, he is so fun to watch. Uh, and that got wasted. Brandon Ayuk that performance got that that hurdle got wasted it, the the lateral leap he touched the skyhook i mean all of these wonderful puns that we could have led the podcast with uh, are now on the cutting room floor
1: terrible yeah it was uh i mean man the kittle game was so much fun we were we were kind of texting a little bit during the game it was just like man it's nice to have him back like it really it, is it just is is so great having kittle out there and and watching him do kittle things but yeah i think um You know, overall, obviously, they had opportunities offensively. I mean, there were just a number of missed throws. The accuracy was a a huge issue throughout the game. Um, I was a little surprised, like the only and this is like getting like really nitpicky, I feel like. But, um, you know, the only thing that I think you could even point to is, is like I did think early on they would really go a little heavier on like the play action and some of the screens and some things like that. Um, to, to really kind of almost take the game out of Mullen's hands, like give him just some super easy throws that, that are kind of pretty difficult to, to screw up in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I feel like there wasn't as much of that early on. And part of it was, you know, you get... Um, you get the Eagles up early, which, you know, isn't a situation that the 49ers find themselves in often uh, over the last couple of seasons. And so, um, you know, I don't know, maybe he felt he needed to throw the ball a little bit more or whatever it was, but like even then, right there, there are a number of throws that were open even just in their standard dropback stuff that are throws that you need to be able to hit, right? When you have guys that are open, especially things, I mean, the, the easy ones to point out run are like the juice ones, right? Like those are just gimmies. like, it's so wide open. Like you don't even need to have the most accurate throw. Like just put it on him. Like just get, put it in the ballpark. And this is a huge play for your offense. And you're, you're missing that completely and just sailing it over his head. So there was just, yeah, a lot of stuff where he's just not giving guys chances. And, um, it just, it was, it was bad. There was, there's really no other way to spin it.
0: Well, I think the longer developing plays just weren't in the cards. For the 49ers, whenever they had the the play action stuff, I mean, they had some boots, they had some plays where they were trying to run play action with Mullins, but the the defensive line for the Eagles was just there immediately um, for for lots of different reasons. But the, the one play that was actually a, a pretty good play by Mullins on, on really what ended up being a throwback where Mullins is rolling out to the right and he's got someone in his face or around his legs pretty quickly and he actually gets a pretty good throw to Kittle across the field that Kittle ends up catching because Kittle catches everything. And, and, and that was a good play by Mullins, but there was someone in his face in Mullins face right away. I mean, the, the Eagles defensive line really tilted the game and they, as a unit were the best thing out there on the field. And, and that's ultimately why they won the game. I mean, it came down to really that defensive line, which I know we're going to get to in a minute. And, and the Eagles having a quarterback that while he himself didn't have a good game, had enough dynamic plays to put the Eagles up. Um, you know, Jimmy Ward can speak to the, the dynamic athlete that is Carson Wentz. Um, but before we get to Wentz, let's talk about CJ Beathard a little bit because CJ Beathard came in and he had two drives, two drives that nearly amassed the entire offensive production of of Nick Mullins. And, and he wasn't terrible. He was, you know, it, it was, it was a game where you're like, okay, maybe i can see a little bit of why shanahan seems to be fixated on having cj Bathard on the team um but it the, the offense moved when he came under center
1: yeah they they definitely had some success there i think it's always one of those situations where where i try to to pump the brakes a little bit i feel like because it is you know it's late in the game you are getting Um, some softer coverage, you know, especially on the final drive, uh, of the game. Um, but even on, on the first one that Bethard came in there right after the pick six, um, was, you know, a lot of stuff where, where they're throwing it to, uh, the first look like immediately after he hits the last step of his drop, getting the ball out. Cause he's got some soft space underneath in those underneath zones, um, that he can just get the ball out quickly to an open receiver too right and, and i feel like as a quarterback i f- that's probably the best situation to come in cold off the bench right is you're, you're like going right into two minutes so it's not even the full playbook that you're really worried about because you're in hurry up mode like it's it's probably a handful of plays that they've got you know maybe a maybe 10 plays or something like that at, at most um that you're really working on there and and so you can just kind of like find that rhythm, you know, that the defense isn't going to be like pressing too hard in most situations. So it it really is a a situation that I think is, uh, setting him up to look pretty good. Right. And I mean, to his credit, he took advantage of that, which Mullins was not able to do for, for a good chunk of the game. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I wouldn't expect that coming out right from the, from the beginning of the next game. Right.
0: Yeah. I think there was definitely some situation there and and this is why I I very much chose that he wasn't terrible. Uh, uh framing of his performance because I, I think that there are there there may be some folks that would say that that performance is good. I, I wouldn't go that far i would say that performance was not terrible um he's he's achieved the functional NFL <laughs> quarterback line um and, and maybe that would have been a line uh, that was good enough to win the game had he played all game. But but he he didn't, and he came in and he did something. One thing he did was he got the ball out super quick. You mentioned he got the ball out at, at basically the top of his drop. You look within this game at the speed at which uh, Bethard got the ball out, and it was the fastest in the NFL for the week. If you look at quarterbacks with the minimum twelve dropbacks, Bethard got the ball out in two point two three seconds. Mullins, who had some play action and some other things going on, uh, was at two point five four seconds. Two point five seconds is about the average. Um, 2.23 seconds is incredibly fast. That would have really led fast. the league. Yeah, yeah. That like he, it was basically like I'm getting the ball out and, and that's, I would have expected a little bit more of that from the, I think the what well, you would have expected maybe some play action stuff. I would have expected some of the, get the ball out of Mullen's hands quick because of the defensive line.
1: Well, play um, action specifically, like I would have wanted the the boot stuff, right? So I think with the boot stuff, you get a little bit more of the, you know, help with the pass rush, right? Whereas if you are doing just kind of a, a, a more standard play pass where you're, um, you know, faking it, but the quarterback is staying in the pocket type of thing, like, yeah, those, uh, you're really just delaying the rush, right? Everything's just kind of delayed and then you get to a normal rush eventually. So like, it can help, but those are longer developing plays anyway. That that um, you can end up with a, a good rush, you know. It, eventually, if the quarterback hangs onto the ball, whereas with those boots, you know, you really get them out there. And unless that end, and unless they're just doing some stuff like when what Armstead would do, you know, at points um, where it's just like immediate. I'm not. I don't even care about the run. I'm going immediately upfield to the quarterback. Unless they start doing that kind of stuff, you really can just like get outside the pocket, have some nice, clean, easy throws. So things like that would have been more the direction. But either way, yeah, I mean, um, you know, you get to to what Beathard was doing and it was getting the ball out of his hands before that pass rush um, could really have a chance to impact him too much, I think, until right up at the very end of the game, right? Those last few plays where they did have to try and get it downfield further and you had to hang on to it a little bit longer to let guys get downfield. We saw uh, that just did not work out well.
0: Yeah, two two final things on C.J. Beathard's performance before we move on to to Wentz and then the defensive line for the Eagles. But one is that he's still allergic to throwing uh, to the left. Uh, He only threw to the right. Uh, He had 16 attempts; only two of them were to the left side of the field. Everything else was to the middle or to the right. Uh, So if he starts against Miami, that's something to watch. Uh, and, And uh, basically, that that he should have walked in for the two point conversion, like that that was a gimme. God, and and he threw it to to Kittle. That was the only thing Kittle didn't catch all night. Um, and it was, it was probably because-
1: like me, and he was seeing this massive amount of space that Bethard had to run. Was like he's running this in. This is over. Like I, this play is done because he's walking into the end zone for this two pointer. And yeah, it was uh, not not a great. You know, as a quarterback, I, I imagine especially somebody like Bethard who's not the most mobile person in the world. Um, You know, you're always in this mode of like, I need to get the ball out to my playmakers. But it's like, dude, you could have crawled into the fucking end zone here with the amount of space you had to work with.
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think football games come down to who often come down to who has the best quarterback. And I use uh, best quarterback in this in air quotes because Carson Wentz was the best quarterback, but that doesn't necessarily mean he was good he just had enough throws and enough plays to ultimately win the game for the Eagles. Wentz was actually pressured on 47% of his passes. He actually had a pretty good pressure rate. The Niners were able to bring the pressure against the, the Eagles because they had a decimated line. They were shuffling people in left and right and, and were really you know operating with the patchwork line. But he had two plays that were really important. One was that deep touchdown throw and the other was the zone read run. That that kind of just put him that put enough plays
1: on the field for the Eagles that that won the game. He was uh, like I said, just good enough, right? He, he seemed to always it was like it felt like one of those uh, games against the Seahawks in some ways where like. Russell Wilson isn't necessarily his sharpest, but he's like running around back there and is like constantly just barely evading sacks and like, you know, getting these things that should really be negative plays and and, and good plays for the 49ers defense um, and turning those into maybe not huge plays, but like positives for the Eagles, right? And just like, even if it's sometimes just, avoiding the sack and picking up a couple yards on a scramble or something like that right that not getting that sack that that really a lot of times is going to end the drive um you know for for the eagles like and turning that into something else is is a frustrating thing to watch happen over and over and that was what it kind of felt like in this game and yeah like you mentioned there were there were a couple big plays i think overall like it wasn't much different than the Carson Wentz we've seen for for much of the season, right? Like, um, was still putting the ball. Like, he had two turnover-worthy plays in this game. So, yeah, he wasn't hitting his four average that he was uh, at coming into the game, but he probably wasn't going to stay there anyway. But it wasn't wasn't a super clean, like, good game from him. He just um, did just enough. And a lot of it, I think a lot of the best stuff was with his legs and, and being able to avoid some of those sacks and things like that.
0: You know, Carson Wentz, it just, man... Uh, he, he did just enough, mostly with his legs. And the, the one throw, the deep touchdown was just... I mean, it was, it was a good throw. Like, it was a good throw. And, and the thing is, is that they're, they're operating with limited kind of wide receiver sets as well. Or, or limited actual bodies at wide receiver, much like the Niners. But I thought it was super interesting that Peterson was still like, yeah, but I'm going to spread them out because I know the Niners have no corners. And, and that was still part of that Eagles game plan. And once you know he the the one throw didn't matter who the wide receiver was he was going to get it out to them and that's and that's ultimately what mattered
1: yeah and it was to- it was unfortunate too I last thing that like um we we could have even still with all the Mullen stuff looked at it a little bit differently if the 49ers would have been able to capitalize on his t- like both of his turnover worthy plays were not turnovers um, you know, so there were, there were both interception chances, um, that, that the foreigners could have had, that could have had a turnover, give the offense an extra possession. And who knows, maybe in this one, that would have just led to Mullins doing something else, you know, giving him an opportunity to do something else terrible, but, um, those extra possessions, you know, add up. And if they could have taken a, a taken up on one of those, like, you know, who knows what, what would have ultimately happened.
0: But that Eagles defensive line, man, they were just so athletic and they were terrorizing that Niners offensive line all game. Uh, I mean, when talking about the play that Kittle made where he got face masked, the the speed with which that Eagles defensive line got to Mullins as he was rolling out was just impressive. They've got athletes on that defensive line. Mullins was pressured on 54.8% of passes and was only blitzed four times. They were getting there with their front four. They did not have to send extra players. Uh, and and I think a couple of players had some bad some bad reps, and, and I think you we're four games in, and Dan
1: Brunskill just may not be the answer at guard. We wanted to believe, wanted to believe that he could be the answer uh, to any possible prayer that we could have along the offensive line, and you just plug him in. But yeah, I mean, uh, again, turns out most players like you just can't do that with them, right? Like they they tend to be um, good in a, a more specific area, and I think with Brunskill, like. Um, you know, probably does belong at this point in his career as like a reserve lineman. I think he's better at tackle than he is at guard. I think that's like what we've learned through the first quarter of the season.
0: Yeah, I think a lot about Adam Snyder and I think about how he came into the league as a tackle and he was good as a tackle with the 49ers and then they moved him to guard and hey, he's actually a pretty good guard. And at least for me for a while, I thought, oh yeah, it makes sense that if a lineman's good, a lineman is good um but there are very different things that you have to do along the interior than you have to do on the edge and it it now you know i think knowing a bit more about football i know that it's sometimes there are just tackles and they're better at tackle than they are at guard <laughs> and and sometimes there are players that should that are going to be really good at guard that aren't going to be good at tackle and and just because you're a good lineman at one position doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good at guard i think it was good to try and it's something that you should try but i think at this point um, it's going to be dicey when I, when you see Brunskill going up against Aaron Donald, who also gave him trouble in the game that he played uh, guard in last season. But you've got Colton McKivitz in the wings, uh, and the, I was reading an article about Colton McKivitz, uh, a pre a post draft article where Barrows talked to Adam Peters, and and he talked about how uh, or Peters talked about how Colton McKivitz earned the coveted gold helmet. In pre-draft scouting, because uh, apparently he ticked off something like fifteen or twenty key characteristics that a player has, both on and off the field, that only fifteen or twenty people on the board any in any one year get. So he was like one of the top draft picks for the Niners, and and he would have been selected earlier had the Niners had an earlier pick, but they were saved. From themselves I was going to say
1: uh, I was going say they loved him so much that they took him all the way in what the sixth round fifth round fifth it's round because they didn't what have any mean, other picks yeah, I mean <laughs> fair
0: but he, it, what's interesting about Colton McKivitz, though is that he's been active on game days and Tom Compton has not so it, it would not surprise me if we see maybe a change at guard if Colton McKivitz is going to end up playing a little bit if Dan Brunskill continues to falter.
1: I think if Brunskill continues on on this path, like it's definitely something worth trying. Um, I don't know that I'm terribly optimistic about McKivitz doing well at guard either. Like, so like one of the other differences, right? From going tackle guard is just the the type of defenders that you're going against, right? And it it's uh, bigger, more powerful defenders on the interior of the defensive line typically, right? So um, I, I think the thing with McKivitz that stuck out most, uh, in a negative light on his college tape was the strength, the play strength, right? Like he was getting bowled by college defensive ends pretty handily. And so now you want to bump him inside to go against NFL, like three techs, like that, is, that, it just feels like a recipe for disaster. Now, who knows, maybe he's um, been able to improve on that strength in the time since we last saw him in college or, or whatever. And he can go in there and, and hold his own a little bit better than he showed before. But I think that's the immediate concern I have with him.
0: Yeah. Mike McGlinchey is also someone that I think is definitely on the concern bubble. We talked a bit about him a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we said it certainly is not going to make a season because the priors that we have for Mike McGlinchey are that he is not a liability in cover in pass protection, even if he just hasn't always been like that has been his best quality. He's always been a better run blocker than he has been a pass protector. But the the way in which he's getting beat is is beginning to be concerning because it's consistent. He is letting people getting into it. He's letting defenders get into his chest, get him off his feet, and put him on his ass. There's like there's no other way to say it. Like he is, he is, is that just, not ideal. No no definitely not ideal. It happened a couple times uh, against the Eagles, and and I don't think he had like an overall bad game, but the reps that were bad were were real bad. And, and it, it's consistently players getting into his chest, getting under him and getting him to screw up his feet. And, and I don't know, it, it, like that, that can't keep happening. Like that, that's a bigger problem, I think, than Brunskill. Because Brunskill, you've got, Com- you've got Compton, you've got McKivitz. I mean, Mike Person was the guy we went to the Super Bowl with. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that I think you can figure that out. But McGlinchey at the tackle spot, someone you'd spent, you know, some, some premier draft capital on not really panning out. I think that's going to be a a bigger kick in the pants.
1: It is. Yeah, it's definitely concerning. Um, you, you want to have those tackles. Um, you know, those are your, your top players on the offensive line. Those are the, the, the positions you want to be in the best shape. Um, I will say, I think it'll be easy to, to make him look even worse with some of those plays right at the end of the game where I, I think it was, I don't know if it was Graham every time, but, um, Yeah, it was, you know, allowing some edge pressure off his side of the line. And a lot of that's on C.J. Beathard. Beathard on those plays, like right at the end of that drive, was dropping super deep in the pocket. And so if you remember, like pass protection, those tackles are blocking, expecting the quarterback to be at a certain spot on the field. And that spot's usually about seven to eight yards behind the center uh, and and he was just getting super deep there, and that gives the edge rusher just an easy straight shot because, you know, obviously the tackle's got his back to the quarterback. He doesn't know exactly where he is. He's expecting him to be in a certain spot, and he's setting to cut the defender off from that spot. If suddenly the quarterback is much deeper than that, then that, that angle that he's taking is worthless, right? And I think that's what we were seeing there, and so I think it'd be easy to shit on him even, even more with some of those plays at the end of the game, and those aren't ones that I had necessarily put on him.
0: Yeah, no that that's totally fair, and that's actually something that if you're listening to this pod, and you're gonna see a lot of Mike McGlinchey talk because I think even the beat writers have, have keyed on Mike McGlinchey and and Shanahan was asked a bit about McGlinchey's performance and and McGlinchey did or or Shanahan did the right thing and kind of defended McGlinchey a bit, but uh you look at the pressures and how PFF charges the pressures. Two pressures were actually charged to CJ Bather in the game. There were 19 pressures allowed in the game, and and that's that's a lot, but CJ Bather was charged with two. And uh, you also have Nick Mullins, who was charged with two. So four of those pressures were not on the offensive line, but they were on the quarterback. And one of the more common ways that a quarterback is going to get charged with that pressure is by running into a defensive lineman or drifting too deep. All right, so let's get to the, well, kind of some big picture stuff for the, the next week because, I mean, really, where where the hell the Niners go from here? I think is is kind of the big question because they've got a hell of a gauntlet right after Miami and, and we've got some big questions. But before we do that, we're going to get some quick hits and we're going to hear a bit from our sponsors. Uh, first up, DoorDash. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app and select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. You're going to have to find new spots because you're in a new place,
1: and things are not good down there. Honestly, it's it's probably for the best. We might have been going a little too hard on delivery. I'm going to put it there. (laughs) Yeah, well, I've got, I've got a friend who lives uh, near you, and he's
0: got a list of places that are not nearly as good as the places up here, but you, you enjoy that. Uh, right now, listeners, uh, our listeners, can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right, let's get to some quick hits, and then we'll talk about some big picture stuff and what the Niners can do over the next couple of weeks to maybe get the season back on track. First up, Next Gen Stats has an expected rushing yards model that won the Big Data Bowl last year. It's a really interesting model about basically projecting how many yards you expect on a particular run, and so you can compare that with the yards that were actually gained. Well, based on that model, Brandon Ayuk's probability of scoring a touchdown when he received. The lateral from Mullins because it was coded as a lateral was one percent, one whole percent, and my dude scored on that play uh it, it which is awesome. it's super super awesome that's I mean it's a great play, and it sucks that it was lost in a loss. It will you know not not get the respect it deserves, but George Kittle averaged five point three yards after the catch per reception and accounted for forty seven point nine percent of the
1: Niners air yards (laughs) yeah I mean the the dude was incredible like he was the entire passing game like it's amazing that he was able to put up those numbers with fucking Nick Mullins and CJ Bathory quarterback Kittle also averaged 4.5 yards of separation
0: which was fifth best amongst pass catchers in week four not tight ends pass catchers I love this man. Doug Peterson's two point conversion call was pretty huge. Ultimately, made it a four point game at the end, requiring a hail mary as opposed to a field goal, uh, and forcing the Niners into a two point conversion late. It, this would have been an overtime game, and maybe we should all be thanking Doug Peterson for not making it an overtime game. Um, but but yeah, but it's it's those kinds of risky decision making uh, calls that you know Doug Peterson I think made because he may have realized that his team wasn't going to get close to the end zone again for quite some time and he needed to make it a high leverage situation honestly i i get it and it was a smart call and it worked out
1: yeah i think it was it was a great call um it was very unexpected like that was one of those moments where it was like okay they they scored um i'm already like you know butthurt about how the intercept or how the touchdown happened because of the two plays that that happened up to that point um and so i'm like walking away to go like you know, get a drink or, or hang out with the baby or something like that. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I look up and it's eight points and I was like, wait, what, what happened? Like you're just not even expecting it at that stage of the game.
0: Yeah. I I really do think that it was one of those situations where he knew that if he won this game, he was going to be in first place in the NFC East. And so he pulled out his Super Bowl playbook. He dusted it off and he was like, I'm doing it. I'm going for two. And, and you know, they were a desperate team. They wanted that win. And and I think they got it. Uh, I think the Niners maybe could learn something from that desperation. But uh, this comes from Robert Mays in his podcast on The Athletic. Offensive holding penalties are down 40% across the league. Interesting. Mays suggests that it may be an edict from the NFL head office to keep the game going and not kind of call uh, ov- be overly flaggy with some of these holding penalties. But... Net result, it actually may affect players' defensive linemen that rely more on power runs uh, because they're not going to speed around someone and force that obvious hold, but rather are going to go into someone's chest and maybe get held, and then their ref's not going to call it because the league office says it's not going to call it. Well, when you've got a bunch of defensive interior guys who are parading and masquerading as defensive ends, uh, you know they're probably not super good as it is, but they may also be limited by the lack of emphasis on offensive holding. I don't know. Something to think about. Thought it was a super interesting point.
1: Yeah, nice. I'm not gonna lie. Like even even if there is like some effect there, like I'll take l- fewer holding penalties any day.
0: Yeah, it's it's not That's, bad. Uh, it's nice. NFL holding Twitter is the worst Twitter. Like there's a lot of really bad Twitters. Yeah. But like that was holding Twitter was it's like, come on get bad. the fuck
1: out of yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, two final points in the quick hits. Number one, NFL points on the whole are up in part because coaches are going for it on fourth down more often uh, 69% on fourth and one. Uh, I was, I was waiting for it. There it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what's, but not only are they going for it on 69% of, of their fourth and one tries, but they're actually getting it or converting it on 77% of their tries so far in 2020. That's an absurdly high rate.
1: Yeah. I mean, we yeah. t- we talked about this. What was it in the, the season preview? I think, right. And kind of talking about Shanahan a little bit in, in a sense of like, those decisions are now becoming more expected like that. That is kind of the baseline now for just where things are at in the NFL. And, and it's the coaches who aren't doing those things are the ones that are starting to stick out more than the ones who are. And I think that is definitely an area that I would, would love to see the 49ers become more aggressive with.
0: Yeah, The the rate that coaches go for it on fourth and two has actually dipped a little bit in 2020 compared to 2019, but they still convert fourth and two at over 50%. I mean, it's only- on 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 the whole, and this is on the whole, right? This is not just one team. This is not just Shanahan. This is not just good offenses or bad offenses. Yep. On the whole, fourth and two is converted over fifty percent of the time, and that's usually the threshold that
1: dictates, like,
0: yeah, I should kind of do this.
1: Yeah, I mean, and ju- it just makes too much sense. Like, you you are giving up opportunities for your offense to keep your offense on the field um, when you're choosing to, you know, punt or or kick field goals in those situations.
0: Final thing here in the quick hits, when you Google Nick Mullins, the first two things that come up in the autocomplete are Nick Mullins stats and Nick Mullins interception. (laughs) Which I thought was pretty great. Not great. Oh, God, I laugh because I don't want to cry. All right. So what now, David? Uh, Because the season is not lost, but it's, um, it's looking for a ventilator, my friend. (laughs) <laughs> it's, uh, it's a hell of a it, lot tougher yeah it is it is because honestly the season's on, but they can't drop the guineas they really can't there are there are only five teams with a better record in the nfc right now which is wild the nfc is basically the wild wild west at this point uh the niners are two and two they're at 500 only the seahawks rams two teams in their mother division uh packers bears and bucks uh, one of these things is not like the other. Uh, but those those are the teams that have a better record in the NFC than the 49ers. The playoff field is also expanded. So I feel like at this point, there's going to be a 9-7 and seven team or two or three that get into the playoffs. And once you get into the playoffs, I think at that point, you just want to get to the party. And then you can make some things happen. So... The Niners season is certainly not lost when it comes to making the playoffs. But man, that stretch right after the Miami
1: game is going to be real real tough. The the rest of the season after the Miami game, barring things like changing significantly because of injuries or something like that right that that changes the course of a team season or what, like based on how things are going through this first 4 weeks, like they don't have another like one where you look at the schedule and like yeah they should absolutely win that game until they play washington mid-december and that's it that's the only other one on the schedule like um every other team that they face over the course of the season after miami um is is a game that like you know it's it's like yeah i'm sure i'm they'll be favored for some of those obviously but um None of those are ones that are that you're looking at are gimmies, right? That they're all teams that absolutely can beat San Francisco on on any given day, right? So I, I think like you you're in a spot where you should really be four zero right now. Like you you kind of blew it in your two losses, right? Like th- those were things that I think you could have done differently um, to come out with wins in those games, and they were they were definitely games that you should have won going into it. So I, I think like. Now everything is a lot more difficult because you expect the tough games, right? A lot of times, like, you know, you want to obviously take care of business against the teams that you're expected to beat and that you should beat. And then when you you get to the more evenly matched competition, like a lot of times you're like, okay, if I split these, it's going to be great. Or, you know, maybe I I get a game or two on on that stretch, right, um, in in my direction. So they're just now going to have to win a lot of tough games. And it's going to be very difficult, especially if they don't, um, you know, if injuries continue the way that they're going right now, they don't start to get some of these guys back. Like you might just kind of dig yourself too big of a hole to, to come back from.
0: Yeah. You look at the Rams Patriots, Seahawks, Packers, saints, Rams, again, bills, uh, and three of those quarterbacks are running quarterbacks. It's, it's, it's dicey that takes you all the way to December. Then you've got Washington. Uh, you know, I I really do think they could have, and should have won the Eagles game, but I almost give them a bit of a pass because that's, that's a backup quarterback. We know that it's, it's hard to win with a backup quarterback. I think the real, the real, the real problem was the loss against Arizona. That, that was the one that's annoying. And that's the one I think that, that when you look back at the the season, that was where... I mean, it was week one right away. That's the one that's like, oh, man, it's already going to be a little bit more difficult. And, and last year, the Niners had a tough stretch in the middle of the year. And, and they emerged from that six-game stretch four and two and And that was really the the stretch that kind of uh, you know forged that Super Bowl team and, and propelled them to the the playoff run that ultimately ended in a Super Bowl albeit a Super Bowl loss, but a Super Bowl nonetheless. and And so, yes, we do think ultimately that they could end up splitting that you know go three and three in that really rough six game stretch. But you know they could end up four and two similarly and and that could ultimately be something that propels them, especially as the the waves of players come back. Um, I, I, just, you know, I think Sherman eventually will come back and, and I think Garoppolo will come back as well, but I still worry the most about that defensive line because that, because Nick Bose is not coming back Yep. and, yep. and D Ford is not someone that I think I can count on to play any meaningful number <laughs> of snaps in a year. Yeah. Like that, that dude is, is the defensive line of Jason Verrett at this point. Like it's great if he plays, but you can't really count on it. And so that means that everything is hyper focused on the offense, and and now I worry now the Mike McGlinchey issues become hyper, you know, intensified, um, and and the offensive line and you know what what you do at right guard becomes intensified, and um, you know I really do hope that that things really turn around and that Garoppolo can come back soon because it really is
1: all on the offense. Right, I, I mean they need Garoppolo back, and it's it's a it's this fine line like. You know, before last week, because um, I really thought that they were going to go in with with the way they've been able to function, um, you know, for basically a game and a half without Garoppolo against uh, the the New York teams there, and and still kind of keep things moving along offensively. I really felt like the game against Philadelphia was going to go in a similar fashion. Like I, I thought that they would be able to to get up, you know, early and rely on the run game, and Shanahan would set Mullins up for success and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and, and so I would have said like, you know, if that went, went to plan, like, yeah, don't rush Jimmy back against Miami. Like we got another one here. We can kind of do that same thing. Right. And like, let's not get him back there too soon. We really want to be healthy. And now it's like, shit, you can't, uh, you can't really afford to, to drop another one. And it's like, well, you don't want him to, you know, get out there too soon. And then he injures himself again. And then it's, and then it's really over. Right. Then, then things are just kind of lost at that point. If he re-injures it and is out for, an even more significant period of time. Um, but it is that fine line because you, you really can't afford to drop another game. Cause not only do you have that tough stretch, like a lot of these games are on the road, you know, which like granted, like is a little bit of a different thing this season because of the the fans not being there and in most of these stadiums still and, and all that stuff, but it is still a different thing. You're still having to travel and, and make all these adjustments right to your schedule. So there's still like added elements there that come with playing on the road and and you got to go to new england to seattle to new orleans obviously you're going to the rams and then you know two year three games to to close out the season are on the road as well at dallas and arizona so like a lot of these games you're going to be away from home and it's just like you you need your quarterback out there to have any sort of shot with this so you've got miami that's the
0: game that's coming up and And, let's say that Jimmy, because Jimmy was a limited participant this uh, on Wednesday's practice. what I think I think what's probably gonna happen is we're gonna see what his ankle feels like tomorrow. and if like the swelling's not bad, if it doesn't hurt, if he can go out there and still move around a little bit. I think chances are he plays. Let's say he doesn't. Do you play Mullins or do you play Bethard?
1: I think you got to go Bethard at this point, right? i I absolutely agree. Yeah,
0: I think you have to. And, and I think that Shanahan probably leans Bethard. Because he's got this love affair with Bethard. He's got a photograph that he looks at of Bethard. And he just stares at it and listens to Nickelback. Look at this photograph. And and I think that's he 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 loves Bethard. And and I think this is ultimately the thing that, you know, allows him to slide Bethard into the number two. And now Mullins becomes the number three. And, and I think that's how you know, Mullins ends up leaving in free agency as a restricted free agent. He ends up being a backup somewhere else. Uh, maybe he gets back to uh, Rich Scangarello, and, and he ends up you know, going back to his father. And, and, that's, and that's kind of the, the end of, of Mullins Mania and Mofo Mullins, that Mofo in, in San Francisco. And then you end up with Garoppolo and Bethard.
1: I, I mean, I think uh, Shanahan definitely seems like he would like Bethard to be the backup. Right. And just kind of be around and, and be the guy that he can uh, turn to. Yeah. When you when you lose your top guy. So um, I think it makes I mean, I'm just honestly glad that we can finally move on from like Mullins should be a, a fucking starting quarterback somewhere right now. Like he's a top half quarterback in the league. Like, fuck out of here. He was never that good. Like there was never anything that he showed that that should lead you to believe that.
0: Oh, uh, mofo Mullins. You know, it was it was it was a rough it's a rough week, but it was fun while you were here, my friend. It's fun while you were here. Just remember, you know, top ten in most yards in like their first you know nine starts or whatever it was, uh, because you know arbitrary numbers are great, especially when they involve yards. Uh, but the Dolphins, I I actually am sneakily scared of the Dolphins. I'm scared of the Dolphins because of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is either a very good quarterback or a terrible quarterback, you just never know which one you're going to get in any particular game.
1: I mean, right. Like some of the shit that he does in, in some games is like legitimately very good. And you're just like, what, where is this coming from? Like to be clear, most of the time he's bad. Yes. Like most of the time it's not good. Um, but, those those games out there where he just everything falls into place and he's just fucking slinging it downfield and and making plays and it's yeah i mean it's uh it's not ideal for sure
0: yeah and i mean they're they're juiced because they got all the texans draft picks you know like i mean the dolphins the, the dolphins have aced this whole tank thing they really they 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 may have even done a better cleveland browns than the cleveland browns at this point um but they—they they are, I think, a team the Niners need to be wary of, and I think you've got Matt Breida, who's got some juice. He's looking to get some snaps. He's looking to get his revenge. It's gonna Change break game. It's gonna break my heart if he scores a touchdown. If he breaks a long run, it's gonna break my heart. Uh, how awesome would it have been for the Niners to have Matt Breida instead of Tevin Coleman this year? Uh, Matt Breida would probably still be playing. That's all I'm saying. Um, but, but yeah, I think the the Vegas line is Niners by three and a half. Uh, and apparently the line opened at like Niners, uh, with the S seven point favorites and it shifted hard and it went to the, the dolphins at three and a half. But yeah, I think
1: three, three points is probably good. I, I hope to God they win. I really do. I mean, the, the thing that makes me feel a little bit better. So yeah, like there, there's always like the threat, I guess, of that you know, you get a good Fitzpatrick game and, and that could certainly derail things. Their defense is fucking trash though. Um, It is. It's very bad. And I
0: think this is the game where the running game gets on track.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're dead last in, in the PFF Elo ranking on defense. They are the lowest graded coverage unit um, of any team in the league right now. So like the, the defense is in rough shape um, and they should be able to, even with, a. I mean, again, Said the same thing about about the Eagles, but at least the Eagles had something that they could rely on defensively. Like the coverage hadn't been great, but obviously their defensive line has been what we've come to expect from the Eagles' defensive line. Like the the Eagles, or excuse me, the Dolphins don't have anything like that to fall back on. Right? It's just kind of it's just all in bad shape. Like because they've been tanking, because they got rid of every like reasonably good player on their entire team. At one point, it felt like, like that, that just hasn't been rebuilt yet. Right. And so um, y- you should be able to get things going offensively. And, and even if Fitzpatrick has like a solid game, y- you would hope that you can put up points against that, that unit.
0: Yeah. It's definitely going to be a game that the Niners should win, but you know, again, we said that against the Eagles and well, here we are. So I think that does it for this week's of uh, this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals Dave Work. May follow you, yeah. PFF underscore David. We have got all of our Patreon videos live, including uh, a turning point for this week, outlining some visuals for the plays that we talked about on the pod and uh, some really fun spotlight stuff that we did that talked about a uh, Kings adjustment that the Niners employed last week uh, to not create effect and two weeks ago to a fact. So. Uh, definitely check them out you can go to patreon.com forward slash better rivals to get some more detailed stuff as well as some videos thanks again for tuning in And as always go Niners David the way is finally over football's back you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going at to- Bet online, your online sportsbook experts.